Good morning. I want to ask some people in the back to do me a favor, if you will. It's been reported, and I don't have any doubts to the report, that my voice sometimes trails off. I might start off strong, but then I finish up weak. And so the people in the back that might be the first to notice that, if you could just give me one of these, as soon as I notice it, I'll know you'll help me a great deal. I'll be able to speak up so everybody hears me from the beginning to the end. Open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24. Very special portion of Scripture. Genesis chapter 24. But before we read it, I'd like to tell you a story. Many of you that know me have heard this story, but some of you have not. Believe it or not, when I was a young man in high school... I was a hopeless romantic. (laughs) We have different terminology now than they did then. Back then, I was in search for my dream girl. Now I think they call it a soulmate. But it's the same idea. These romantic thoughts. and, And my thoughts were along the lines of someone that I could share my life with. Someone that I could walk down the path of life with share things that were precious, be concerned about precious things that she had on her heart. And um, the problem that I had was nobody was interested in me. (laughs) If you knew me then, you might realize why. But I was still on that pursuit, and I was wondering she might be around any corner. But she never was. And uh, so that interest, you know, waned and ebbed and flowed. And I can remember one thought that entered into my mind. Maybe God could help me with this. Now, I wasn't raised going to church or anything. I didn't know much about God, but I tried everything I could with no success. Maybe he could help me. But I didn't know where to go. But I remember, if you want to know about God, you go to the Bible. I just knew that. I don't know how I knew that. I just knew it. Um, So I didn't have a Bible, so I went to the library, the high school. And I opened up the Bible, and, you know, I thought it was a... um, an index, but it's actually a concordance, where you find different words in the Bible and find where they're located. And so I was able to figure that out. I looked up the word love because I thought that would best describe the situation I was looking for, you know. And I looked up, I can think of maybe two or three verses, and the only thing that the Bible talked about was God's love for me. And I was looking for that. (laughs) I was looking for a dream girl and how God could help me find that dream girl. And so I went away a little disappointed The reason why I bring that story up this morning is because I didn't know the Lord at that time. And I wasn't very perceptive, had no spiritual sight. And I was looking for a need that I felt I had on this level. And God was speaking to me on this level. There was a whole level that I had no perception of. And I couldn't make the connection. And now after I know the Lord, and we're going to, get into that a little bit, I can perceive the spiritual nature of things that God has placed in his creation. Some people think, well, the Lord, when he was on earth, he took things that he created and he he reached out and used them as illustrations. I happen to think that he made that very thing so that he could teach that spiritual truth. So that makes things exciting because when I walk around, there's deep significance on a high plane behind what he's created, behind the relationships he's created. I didn't realize it then, but I was longing for a personal relationship that would satisfy my soul. And I was thinking on this plane, so I was thinking girl, dream girl. You know, um, I didn't know how to define that dream girl, character qualities. I didn't have any character qualities myself. So I didn't know to identify character qualities. You know, and, and attractive, I know there are women that are attractive to one person and yet not. Beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. So I wasn't, I knew that I would think that was a beautiful person, but I was looking for a soulmate, someone that would satisfy my longing for a personal relationship. And I didn't realize God was saying, I'm right here. That's why I created you, to know me. Where you're looking for satisfaction, you won't find it, Eric. You'll only find it right here with me, satisfied by my love. 
And so I missed the boat on that one. And it was until six or seven years later until finally God got through and he opened my eyes to what I was really searching for. And that really I'd, I'd been longing for that. But it wasn't until he opened my eyes to see on this higher plane. Now we have a story here. And, and this is one thing beautiful, not only in creation, but God can take the lives of individuals and he could direct their paths in such a way to teach us spiritual truth and spiritual lessons. And that's what I love about the word of God is that it's filled with those kind of lessons. And we have here a type, just like when Rick was teaching about Isaac, we had a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that uh, his father Abraham offered him up. We know that God provided a sacrifice. In a sense, he rose from the dead and that he was received back from the dead. And that's like the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to continue with that type in this story. The thing about this story, it's a very natural story. It's a romantic story. It's an interesting story. But there's a higher plane. There's a deeper lesson to learn. And so I want to walk that path with you on the deeper plane. And of course, we'll find application for our everyday lives in the area of romance. But there's a higher plane, and I want to look at that. It's exciting. Okay. Let's start. Now, Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Verse 2. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, Place your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I live. But you shall go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. Take a wife for my son Isaac. Okay, so Abraham was concerned about a wife for his son. Now, I don't know if God directly told him or if God laid it on his heart, but we're going to see that God had a hand in this. God was directing Abraham and God was directing his servants. We know it was God's will for Isaac to have a wife because it was implied in the promises that God gave. God promised Abraham um, a posterity, generations that would match the number of the stars. And through Isaac, he was named. And so, of course, Isaac had to have a wife. God had a specific woman in mind for Isaac. And he was going to direct the servant to that woman. We're going to see that in the story. It's very important. She is in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. God has very specific designs and plans for our lives as well. We need to be sensitive to him guiding us along. <coughs> the key here is take a wife for my son. We read in Acts 15:14 that Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. Okay? Taking from among the Gentiles, not Jews, Jews and Gentiles, a people for his name. In Ephesians 5:23 and 32 we find it further clarified and we find two um, types or illustrations of this um, person. It says in verse 23 of Ephesians 5, For the husband is the head of the wife, Christ also is the head of the church. Remember how I said that he made relationships to teach us about spiritual truths? So we have an illustration of the church, a body, Christ being the head. Who controls the body? The head. The head is the authority, the seat of authority. And, of course, the head takes care of your body. <laughs> he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. Husband, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. And so we see the marriage relationship is a type or picture of a deeper relationship, Christ and the church. And they're described that way. So husbands ought also to, ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 
This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So there's a, there's a, it's explained to us. The marriage relationship is a picture of Christ and the church. And so when we go back to this story of Isaac, who is a picture of Christ, we're going to see that this future wife of his, his bride, is a picture of the church. It's interesting because it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 45 through 47, so also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. Then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. It's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's talking about Adam was the first man. The Lord Jesus Christ is the second man. It was by the first man that sin sin entered into the world. It's by the second man that sin has a solution. The Lord Jesus Christ. He died on the cross to pay for our sins. To bring us back to God. But it's interesting, too, because God had a wife for the first Adam, for the first man. He also has a wife for the second man. I was really touched by Rick's message where he he spoke of the special relationship between the father and the son. As they walked on together, when Abraham went to sacrifice his son, there's something that we can't enter into. There's a special and close and near and dear relationship between the father and the son. And the father has set his heart on a bride for his son. And that bride is the church. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, it's you, it's me. And we're going to see a little bit more of how the church is called out here. As to the church being both the body and bride of Christ, which we saw in Ephesians, we have the type of Eve who was the body of Adam before she was the bride of Adam. See the parallels there? Very interesting. A bride for the son. Now God directed Abraham that he should seek this woman not from the land of Canaan where the the people were to be judged. We see a a very practical illustration there of what it speaks of in 2 Corinthians 6.14 not to be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness with or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? There have been many a Christian that have compromised on this portion of Scripture and have become unequally yoked to the bereavement of their own soul. Sometimes God's grace is a person comes to know the Lord later, but that is not the rule, it's the exception. Okay, so in this passage, we're going to find guidelines for those um, that might have, by some remote chance, the desire to be married one day. There are guidelines to follow. And we're going to see them through the passage. Okay, so the servant took a pledge. Abraham was serious. He did not want um, Isaac to marry someone from the land of Canaan. Okay? But you shall go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. Verse 5. And the servant said to him, Suppose the the woman will not be willing to follow me. Should I take your son back to the land from where you came? Then Abraham said to him, Beware lest you take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth and who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying, Your descendants I will give this land, He will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this my oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. It's interesting because God oftentimes, oh, God is always true to his types. Um, If we try to press every matter, we'll find Things don't always fit, but when they do fit, it really is marvelous. Um, Do not take my son back there. So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. We see Isaac before this. The last time we saw him was on Mount Moriah, where he was offered up in, in a type and received back from the dead, raised, as it were, from the dead. 
The next time we see him isn't until much later. But he stays in the land. Since Christ's resurrection, we don't see him here on the earth. But he's in heaven. And the next time we see him won't be until a special time. And we're going to see that played out in the type here. So God remains true to the type. And God, I think he takes offense when the types gets changed. For example, would you remember when Moses struck the rock and water gushed out to give to the nation of Israel in the wilderness? The second time God said to speak to the rock and Moses disobeyed, he was angry with the people and he hit the rock again. Well, God, he, he, he brought forth water out of the rock, but Moses disobeyed God. And so he couldn't go into the promised land. The rock was a picture of Christ. He's to be struck once for living water to, um, to flow forth. Second time, he's never struck. And so there was a picture God was painting of his dear son and his work on the cross that Moses, through his disobedience, was destroying. It's like taking a painting. An artist makes a painting, and you go up and draw a mustache on a person, you know, like we used to do when we were younger. It's ruining God's picture. And so we want to be careful. Um, He's very careful. Abraham's very careful. No, you're not to send my son back to the land. He's to stay here. You bring the bride to him. And that's going to be important. Verse 10, Then the servant took ten camels from, uh, from the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things of his master's in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the evening time, the time when women go out to water. Did anybody um, get what the name of the servant was? Pardon? Somebody said Eliezer, somebody said nothing. No. Well, in this passage, it's not mentioned, is it? Okay, but it says that it's his oldest servant, the one that's in charge of his household. And if you go back in Scripture, to act, uh, not to Exodus, Genesis 15, it does mention a servant to whom the inheritance would fall if Abraham didn't have a son. Okay, his firstborn servant of his house. And his name there is Eliezer in 15.2. If you take the name Eliezer and you go to Exodus 18.4, you'll find that Eliezer means... God is my helper. God is my helper. Now that word helper might be significant to you. Do you remember that word helper from the New Testament? It's found in John chapter 16, verse 7. The Lord Jesus Christ is speaking and he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And if you study that passage, you'll find the helper is the Holy Spirit. So we have here what quite most likely is a servant with the name Eliezer, helper of God. We have the Holy Spirit who's spoken of as the helper. And so if we see the Holy Spirit working here, we, we can recognize that Abraham represents God the Father. Isaac represents God the Son. And the servant represents the Holy Spirit. And what is the uh, goal of the Holy Spirit? To gather out a people that would be called the Bride of Christ. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing in the world today. That's what his ministry is. Now, it doesn't mention it here, but it mentions it in further verses, verses 33, 54, and 59, that the servant wasn't alone. He took other men with him. And those other men, as far as scriptures are concerned, they're silent. But they went nonetheless. And certainly they helped the servant. Silent partners, if you will. And I like to, I like to think that in this story, you're going to find yourself somewhere in this story. I find myself in more than one place. It says in the New Testament, we're co-laborers with God. I like to think of those servants that aren't mentioned as someone like myself, someone like yourself. It's really the Holy Spirit that does the work. No one can come to know the Lord if the Holy Spirit doesn't do a work in their heart. One, convicting them of their sin. If you're here and you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you've bowed the knee to Him, it's because you have had a visit from the Holy Spirit convicting you of your sin. 
convicting you of righteousness, God's righteousness. And the problem with the two, God in his holiness and righteousness cannot accept into his presence a sinner and judgment to come. Because of that situation, God must judge sinners. See, the Holy Spirit brings that message to the individual. And perhaps you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And that, that message offends you. You don't like it. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you don't like it because it's the way of salvation. See, a person that doesn't come to that place where they realize they're lost and need a Savior will never come to the Savior. And think of that, uh, that position a person finds themselves in. God created each one of us for a personal relationship with him. There's a problem. It's our sin. We don't like to hear about that. But hearing about our sin, owning our sin, realizing there's nothing we can do about our sin and we need a Savior, that's the path to the one and only one that could satisfy our soul. So why reject the message? Why shun it? Why? I don't want to hear it. Why say that? It leads to the, uh, to the satisfaction of your soul when it leads you to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing in the world. He's searching out a bride. And the church makes up the bride, the people that accept, that receive the Holy Spirit message, receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's silent partners, let's say, servants that are going along. And what do you think they're thinking? Do you think that's a dull ride? I mean, there are 10 camels, right? And the distance is anywhere from five to 800 miles. I'm not sure, depending on the route they chose. If they, they had camels, so I'm assuming they could have shot right across the desert. Or there's the Fertile Crescent that they could have traveled. Perhaps they went across the desert going there, and because uh, Rebecca was with them, maybe they came across an easier route on the way back. I don't know, but it was a long journey. Now, what do you think? They were bored? Well, if they were, we're going to see soon when things start happening. Uh, it, the far, farthest thing from my mind is boredom. When I, If I were there, I'd be so excited. We're going to see what, what happens. Okay, then the servant took ten camels from the camels of his master, and he set off for Mesopotamia. And he found himself by the well, or he was led to the well of water at evening time. And he said, now listen to this prayer. He said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink and who answers, drink, and I will water your camels also. May she, may she be the one thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. And by this I shall know that thou hast shown loving kindness to my master. What does he do? He prays. He prays. He wants to find the right woman, the one God has chosen. How is he going to figure it out? What better thing to do than ask God to direct his steps? You know, oftentimes, uh, I, I know in that in, when I was in high school, I never prayed to God that he would direct my steps to my dream girl. I, I would go to the Bible, but it didn't even occur to me that I should ask God, but he was already showing me what was more important. Prayer is so important. Um, notice that uh, Eliezer, let's call him Eliezer, um, he put down a pretty stiff request, didn't he? And we want to look at that, see what's rolled up into that request. It was remarkable in human terms, but possible. He didn't put forth some prayer request that was going to require a supernatural miracle, although this was a supernatural act because God directed him and answered the prayer in that way. But it was remarkable, something that would stand out, and yet possible. And so that, that should guide our prayers. He did stack the decks against finding someone because think of what was involved in watering these camels. We're going to think about that in a minute. But, but in the request was a very shrewd strategy. He knew 
that Isaac would want someone that's hospitable. He knew his master's son would want someone that was a servant, had a servant's heart. Someone that was kind and gracious and yet hardworking. What one thing can you think of was not on that request that we'd probably put on today? What? Yeah, give me someone that's really nice looking. Someone that's very attractive. A beautiful woman. Did the servant put that in his prayer request? No. Why? Because looks can fade. With time, it usually does. There are things more important than looks. It's character. And he put, uh, he put this one to the test because of, of what, what was involved. Ten camels, after they have been on the road that long, it's been said that they could probably drink 25 gallons apiece. 250 gallons. Average pot could hold three gallons. So how many, how many trips would she have to make down in the well to get the water back up? About 83. And what does it say? It says that he came there at evening time. I don't know about you, about evening time, I get a little tired. The last thing I'm going to think about is doing some hard work when it comes evening time. So if you do the math, it's between 1,500 and 2,000 pounds that she's going to lift up out of the well. That is an extraordinary person. That is a person that hospitality, servanthood, and... uh, Character, sterling character quality like kindness, selflessness are very important. That was cultivated for quite a long time. That just, just didn't, oh, I think I'll just do this out of character with myself. I think I'll just, you know, go down 83 times and get your camel some water. You know, it's interesting because look at the servant. It says in verse 15, and it came about that he had, uh, before he had finished speaking that, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with her jar on her shoulder. Now, the servant didn't know that she was a relative at this time. It's just he prayed this prayer. Before we finish speaking, here comes a girl. Just happened to be the one of God's choosing. But how was he to know? The girl was very beautiful, a virgin, and no man had relations with her, and she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. So she went down, filled the jar, came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, please, let me drink a little water from your jar. So we see the servant taking the initiative here, doesn't he? Does that remind you of anybody's words? Lord Jesus Christ at the, at the woman at the well. Give me a drink. <laughs> initiative. But he didn't let on anything past that. He was looking expectantly for an answer to prayer. And she said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Now, when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw. And she drew for all his camels. Meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. You think? As soon as she said that, You think the servant had a clue? And he's just watching her. Hmm, I wonder if that's the one. What's he waiting for? What's he watching for? Anybody? He asked that specific prayer, very specific prayer request. And here's a woman and tells him exactly what he's waiting to hear. Now, if it were I, I would probably jump in and say, praise the Lord, you know. But he was much more wise than that. He stood back and watched and waited. So you have to ask yourself, what was he waiting for? Was he looking for a woman that would just say she would do something? Or one that would actually do it? Oh, I'll water your camels. No, 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 no. My ten servants here can do that. He didn't say that. Okay, thank you. And watched and waited. Servant didn't stop her. He wanted a woman who would not only say she would water the camels, but would actually do it. Perhaps Eliezer knew that for someone, it's much easier to talk like a servant than actually serve. He wanted to see if she had a servant's heart. Not only, uh, not just a servant's talk, 
See, Eliezer was a servant. He was the chief servant in his house. And there's a reason for that. He knew what servanthood was all about. And he wanted to see if there was follow-through. He wanted to see if she would actually come out and do what she offered to do. And there we see uh, her sterling character. Sterling character. You know, and that was a little convicting to me because I think the Lord oftentimes, he asked that question to us. Think of all, if you've known the Lord for quite some time, or recently you know the Lord, think of the things that you've promised him. Think of the time when you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and from that moment on, Lord, you direct my steps. I will follow you. And all that you are willing to do at the beginning of that exciting relationship. And now here you are, years down the road. And I have to ask myself, where am I spiritually? Do I see I'll still have that heart to follow through with the things that I've promised the Lord? Or somehow has, have those promises waned? Have I not completed that which I vowed to the Lord? Am I still involved in what counts and is precious to Him to the degree that I was when I first came to know the Lord? An attitude I had when I came to the Lord, and you have to realize my background. I was a little bit of a spicy character. But I had a, the Word of God. Uh, I can remember when Rick um, led me to the Lord, and I went from there down to Dearborn's Bible bookstore to pick up a Bible. And I think Rick was perhaps surprised when he got a phone call from me. And I said, I don't know which one to pick. There's five different kinds. Yeah. Well, I'll start off with the NIV. And so I did. But I can remember my attitude, and, and, and you'll have to realize that this was at an infant stage as a Christian, that word of God under my arm with the attitude, I dare anybody to take it from me. You know, that's how precious it was to me. Nobody was going to take that from me. And I started reading it. Every single day. Even when I had to go out in the street under a street lamp. Because my mom said, lights are out, you're not reading your Bible. <laughs> that is what I vowed to the Lord. That was the enthusiasm with which the Lord won my heart. So I have to ask myself, is there follow through? 22 years down the road, where are you at, Eric? Are the camels watered yet? You know, well, I watered nine and a half of them. He's looking for follow-through. And he deserves it. And the servant was shrewd and smart enough, wise enough to wait to see if there was follow-through. He wanted to make sure. So, what do we have here? We have um, answers to prayer. His prayers were specific. His directions were specific. And if you're a young person today and you're, you have the hopes of getting married and... and um, you commit it to the Lord and you're in prayer about it, there's a certain amount of standards you need to set up beforehand. And these standards were set up before this. She had, I can think of three things. She had to be from that land, that country, because Abraham said, go to my country. From my family, that's two, specific prayer requests. And she has to be willing, because if she's not willing, okay, you're free and clear of your oath. So three specific answers to prayer. Three specific direct answers to prayer. So if you're a young person and you're praying, you need to set up your standards before you get in the heat of the, an affectionate relationship with a person that might not qualify on two counts or one count. If you're really serious about finding the Lord's will, those should be set up ahead of time. I'm not going to do this. He's going to do that. He's going to be like this. Okay. We see later on that... Um, this woman, first thing she does, she goes home and tells her family. She's got a real open relationship with her family. I met this servant, and she's, she's telling the story. We see the servant went to the family. Went to the family and asked permission. And they said, well, it's a, we're going to see it's, it's, it's of the Lord. And then, of course, the woman had to be willing. So be careful of those relationships where somehow the parents are you know, bypassed. That's a dangerous sign. Meanwhile, the man was gazing at her, verse 21, to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. 
Then it came about when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a gold ring weighing a half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrists weighing ten shekels of gold and said, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me. Is there room for us to lodge in your house? And so he didn't know about the second answer to prayer yet till she answered. And she said to them, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, who she bore to Nahor. And again she said to him, We have plenty of both straw and feed and room to lodge in. You see, when it came to hospitality, she didn't even hesitate. She didn't hesitate. And you might say, well, it's because of all the gold he gave her. No, that was her character. That was her character. Have you ever been called into the service of the Lord and hesitated? I have. To my shame. Rest assured, when that happens, he can use someone else. And you miss the blessing. Hospitality is so important. Then the man bowed low and worshipped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. Now he recognizes this is the hand of the Lord. And I want to tell you something. There's nothing more exciting than realizing that the hand of the Lord has directed you, has guided your steps. It's exciting. It's exciting to know that he's interested in your life, that he has a plan and purpose for your life. There's a higher plane, and there's deeper lessons that he wants to teach you. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't know about those things. You are, as I was back in high school, missing, missing it. Then the girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. And then, of course, her brother Laban gets in on the act, and he recognizes these things that were given to his sister and then he he's all interested now and he runs out. I think his motives were suspect. And so he brings them in. Verse, we'll skip down to verse 32. So the man entered the house. Then Laban unloaded the camels and he gave straw and feed to the camels and water to wash his feet to the feet and to the feet of the men who were with him. But when food was set before him to eat, he said, I will not eat until I have told my business. Here we see a faithful servant. And we can see ourselves as servants of the Lord as well because he uses men to reach others. And we have to ask ourselves, are we faithful? Faithful to put first what should be first. We read in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, Paul wrote this, For I delivered to you as of first importance, a first thing that I delivered to you, the very most important message that you heard from me came right out first. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That should be the first thing out of our mouth. That should be the first desire of our heart. I can remember one time where I didn't know the Lord. I would have never thought that that was important until I realized that I was a sinner and a sinner in the hands of an angry God is a, it's a dangerous place to be. And so I recognize my need for a Savior. Do you? If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, do you recognize your need? Have you resisted the Holy Spirit as he's tried to press that upon your heart? That you have a great need? Have you rejected that message? Please don't reject that message. God has set his love upon you. And the fact that you're still here, that he hasn't taken you off the scene, is because he has been patiently waiting for you to realize how much He loves you and how much He wants to save you. But like we're going to see with the woman, she's going to be asked a question, will you go with this man? And that's the same question that God keeps posing to you if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like a marriage vow. Do you take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband? What's the response I've never yet heard anybody respond in the negative. What's the response? I do. That's exactly what the Lord's waiting for. 
Will you take me as your personal Lord and Savior? He's waiting for a response. Place yourself in a wedding setting where you're sitting in the crowd and there's that question posed. And there's not just a long moment of silence. I mean, it started at noontime and now it's 9 o'clock in the evening and there's still no response. Do you think that would be an awkward moment? Do you think there would be some question as to that person's love for her husband? Something's wrong there. That's more than a case of cold feet. That's frozen feet. The Lord's asking that question. So he wouldn't eat until he told his business. Why? He was there to seek a bride for Isaac, a bride for the son of his master. That was his goal. And he wasn't going to rest until he had an answer. And he was looking for an answer in which would bring him great joy in thinking of the joy of his master. And I wonder sometimes if we think along those lines. When we're sharing Christ, do we realize how much God really loves that person? The Lord Jesus Christ died for that person. Wants a relationship, wants to satisfy their longing for the only true soulmate. And do we think of the joy that comes to our master when a person accepts the Lord Jesus Christ? It says all the angels in heaven may rejoice. There's a party because of the joy of the master in receiving one more lost soul now saved. The beautiful picture. So he asked if they were going to deal kindly with them and they, um, the answer was that uh, it was from the Lord and they couldn't say anything good or bad. And so they said, certainly. Verse 55, But her brother and her mother said, Let the girl stay with us a few days. Say ten. Afterwards she may go. And, she said, and he said to them, Do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. He wanted to get back with the good news. Barnhouse has a very... Um, Interesting comment about this. If the world doesn't succeed in persuading the believer to abide in the world, it will seek to delay his exit. Perhaps you've considered accepting the Lord Jesus Christ, but you think, I'll do it tomorrow. I remember in a physics hallway, When I ask myself this question, perhaps that's what's missing in my life. God. And then, well, the question came up in my mind, well, when are you going to look into God? When are you going to find out if that's what's missing in your life? And my response in my heart was when I'm 60 years old. I don't know, I, you know, that, that, that number I just picked out of the blue because that was when I figured, well, by then I won't feel like doing anything else. I'll have all my fun, you know? <laughs> Of course, now I'm 50, I know that's not true. But you realize I was only like 23 at the time, so I, I thought that way. And the next thing the Lord did, he brought to my mind at least five individuals that I had personally known that had died before the age of 23, and I was 23 years old. And then the question popped into my mind, what makes you think you're going to live until you're 60 years old? My dad died when he was 42. All these friends died when they were under 23. And the Lord was speaking to my soul and he was making sense, which he always does, by the way. But now I was listening to sense and I thought that would be pretty stupid. You know, I, I said that about myself. That would be pretty stupid. Waiting till I'm 60 to find out about God and then dying when I'm 25. Then I wouldn't be ready. Foolish, foolish. Scripture says today is the day of salvation. Today. He doesn't promise us tomorrow. Today. And so, if the Lord's speaking sense to you, listen. Listen. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you could die tomorrow. It happens all the time. As a matter of fact, it says that your days are numbered before you were born, and God knows that day. I don't. You don't. But He does. And if I could just see a number over your head, that date, I would know who to speak to with most urgency. Because I know 
you only have a week to live. But I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not omniscient. God is. So he says to everyone, it doesn't matter. It may be next week. It may be next year. It may be 10 years from now. Don't delay. And there's one thing that's going to make you respond. Just one. And it's the only requirement he holds over you. And that's that you believe. That you believe that he loves you. That you believe that you're a sinner. And that he can't accept you like that until you're cleansed with the blood of Christ, until you receive his son, and that you believe that he paid for your penalty on the cross at Calvary, and that you receive him as a free gift. No work involved, just receive him. It says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. See, they asked the girl after this, they asked Rebecca, We will call the girl and consult with her wishes. Then they called Rebecca and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. I will go. She consented to become the wife of a man she had never seen solely on the representation of this servant. And that's what the Holy Spirit's doing to you today. He's representing the Lord Jesus Christ. He's presenting him as the one that loves you, that made you, created you for a relationship with him and he's asking you will you go with this man will you accept him and she did and her family blessed her she was willing to leave all leave her family behind leave her country behind and travel that road with that servant and his men to meet her new groom her bridegroom That's faith. That's faith. And if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what you've done. You've left family and country behind. It's interesting because um, she rose with her maids and they mounted the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebecca and departed. Imagine what the conversations were like along the way. Because if you haven't found yourself in this story yet, you can find yourself right here if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. We're on the way. We're traveling to meet the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we travel along, the Holy Spirit speaks to us about what? About who? About the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ said in the book of John. He will remind you of the things that I've said. He will take of mine and show them to you. You think she was interested in knowing about her future husband? You think she had questions for the servants? What kind of questions would you have? What's he like? Tell me about him. And all along the way, this was a long journey. Figure five to eight hundred miles on camelback. And I imagine that the servants, the servant took great delight in sharing with her what Isaac would be like. Later on in the passage, we could see that the um, when when she saw him in the field in the evening, who's that? That's my master. (laughs) You see, not only was that servant the servant of Abraham, but Isaac was his master as well. And she was presented to him, and she drew a veil over her face. And that spoke of modesty, chastity, 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 (laughs) and submission. And so I'd just like to close with us thinking about, I have a lot more here, by the way, but I, I, I know the time's moving on. Think about how you, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, would like to be presented before the Lord Jesus Christ when you meet him. Because undoubtedly, during that ride, during that journey, her thoughts were on her new husband. Her thoughts were on Isaac. She learned of him. She longed to know more about him. And she waited with anticipation for the day that she would see him. And she saw him from afar. She dismounted off that camel. She put a veil over her her face because she wanted to present herself. Here I am, your bride. What anticipation. And he took her into his mother's tent, married her, loved her. And that's what the Lord Jesus is going to do. Just like he came out in the evening, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come out the evening of this dispensation when the church is complete. And he's going to come out and he's going to meet us in the air. 
just like Isaac met Rebekah out in the field. The question is going to be, when he sees us, are we going to present ourselves in a way that's worthy of him? Or are we going to be dirty, our clothes filthy, during the journey distracted, accumulating things along the way? That's a a penetrating question. Where have we gone in our Christian lives from the beginning? Are we still, do we still realize that we're on a journey and that we have a place to go to? This isn't our home. This is the old country. This is our old family. We have left this behind and we're heading to a new country. We're heading to be with our Lord, our Savior, the husband of the church, bridegroom. I think if we keep that focus, then it will show in our walk. It will show in our activities. It will show in our faithfulness to the things that he calls us to. Just like the servant looked forward to the joy of his master. That's what we should look forward to. And that's what we should contemplate and think on. How? What can we do to bring joy to him when he meets us, when he sees us? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word and the wonderful picture that you paint with lives. We think of the Father's desire to call out a bride for you, Lord Jesus Christ. And we think of the very real truth that we're part of that bride, those that have received you. Lord, and we pray that as we travel on the journey, that we might be attentive to your servant, the Holy Spirit, in teaching us about you. For we long to know more about you. We pray that along the way we might not be distracted with what we see along the journey. That we might not be loading down our camels with possessions. But that we might live for the day that we meet you. And that we bring you joy. Lord, I pray for those that don't yet know you. That they might see that your spirit would visit them in their heart and that they might listen before it's too late. We lift that up to you in Jesus' name and thank you for your word. Amen.